This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and You're listening to Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access radio station, and I'm Lynn Trafford presenting Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air on behalf of the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society, T. R. Parangi. This program is your opportunity to meet practicing and recently retired scientists from around the Bay. With me in the studio today is Dr. Edgar Burns from the University of Waikato and currently the Chair of Integrated Catchment Management at the Hawke's Bay Regional Council. Dr. Burns is also President of the Hawke's Bay Branch of the Royal Society. I first interviewed Dr. Burns in March 2021. Hearing of his life as a sociology lecturer at EIT in Napier and at La Trobe University's Bendigo campus. Coming back to Hawke's Bay has afforded Dr. Burns the opportunity to take sociology to the natural environment. His words, not mine. Let's find out what he means. Welcome Dr. Edgar Burns once again to Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air. Good morning. Good morning, Lynn. It's lovely to have you in the studio again. Now, I'm going to go right back to basic principles here so that we can come forward in a way that makes sense, I hope. I'm interested to hear your personal definition, the Dr. Edgar Burns definition, of what a sociologist actually is. Yes, a sociologist studies people, but so do other fields, but... We study people in their groups and churches and sports clubs and in society. So we're not as well known as geography or psychology. We're kind of in between and joining those kinds of areas about people, sometimes about the politics of people, sometimes about the trials and tribulations they have for housing or how they work in groups together. So this mantra of yours to to take sociology to the natural environment it's not something wacky out of left field. It works. It fits in with this definition that you're giving me. In many ways today, it's the missing ingredient. And we are finding again and again, uh, water people invent something they call socio-hydrology. And the computer people invent something called socio-informatics. And each time, they're trying to capture this sociology bit what to put a, the people into to their put study. The pe- exactly, to put the people in the mix. It's not just about the very clever technical things, but how do people react to those or what yeah. use do they make of them? Yeah, yeah. You can really make a mess if you leave that out, can't you, I think? I think absolutely. Uh, and you know from previous discussions that it's a pet thing of mine anyway. I think if you take the people out of anything that you're doing, you're asking yes. for trouble. Exactly. <laughs> we, we matter. <laughs> I want to ask you about your title, Integrated Catchment Management. I want to know why the word catchment is in there. Right. It's a confluence of two or three things. One is the increasing emphasis on water, water quality. You've heard of the three waters, um, the availability of water, and even too much fertiliser 
affecting the water. So water comes in catchments. It's not just a molecule of water, um, a river basin, a river stream. We here in Hawke's Bay, Tukituki catchment, um, the Heratonga Plains, the Mohawker Valley. These are all catchments. The thing that most people don't understand is that it's not just water that's the catchment, but a catchment is also a carbon flow. So in terms of climate and the need for people to act, what thinking in catchments then thinks in terms of groups of people. So it's not just the natural environment, but it's how people respond and deal to that. So an integrated catchment says all the farmers, all the city people in a catchment are talking to each other. They're conscious of those water and carbon and land use flooding questions together. Okay, we better stop here and say, what area geographically does the regional council cover? What's the northern boundary? What's the southern boundary? I know it goes into the hills. Yes. So we know it goes to the hills and we know it stops at the coast. Yes. But where are we stretching from top to bottom? We go from almost up to Gisborne to down past um, Porongahau. So that gives you a stretch of about one, nearly one and a half million hectares. Okay, so it's quite a large area and yeah. it's quite long, really, with yes. a lot of coast involved. And actually, in there's that. a thing called blue carbon today where they go off the coast. Oh, um, okay. All right. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. don't, let's, don't let's go there. That's a little <laughs> bit quantum for today, Edgar. It's too early in the morning. Yes. All right. What I want to know is if we're going from so far north to so far south, there are quite a lot of catchments in my mind yes. in there because we have quite a lot of rivers apart from anything else, that go from the hills to the sea. Yes. So we're dividing our area up this way, and there's quite a lot of them. Does your work take you across all those catchments? How many do we have? Eight, nine? Quite a few in there, wouldn't I Yes, would it depends. You have sub-catchments. As soon as you've got a river basin, there's a stream off the side, and that's well, its yes, own little catchment. Yeah. Um, yes, I don't know that I could put an exact number, but there's certainly... Half a dozen to a dozen major catchments. There are, aren't there? So really, you can think without of the even Wai- thinking the, about the it. The River, for instance. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. They would differ too. So, yes. therefore, does your work that you're doing is is you, are you anticipating your work, your your results that you're going to get from your work, is going to differ across the catchments, or are we just one people and the work is going to be the same? across our region rather than within a catchment? The biophysical stuff is the same. It's water, chemicals, quality of water, availability of water, dryness. But each catchment is unique in the group of people there. You might have men and women in a running a group um, up the Karamu stream at the moment. That's divided into four sections. And even the top section has gone into subgroups. So where people can work together on their particular land use, whether it's vineyards or sheep or um, there's a Maori community, each of those groups, um, it's the people power that gives us the opportunity to make change. I quite like that, people power. That's terribly 1960s, isn't it, it, Edgar, really? (laughs) Terribly 1960s, people power, power to the people. Right, now I want to come back to your, the beginnings, if you like, of your employment with the Regional Council and the remit that you were given for your work by Ian Maxwell. Now, I have interviewed Ian on this program. It's some zonks ago now. It's quite a while ago. But what did Ian want you to try and achieve on behalf of the Regional Council? This very scientifically based organisation. Yes. That's what it's there for, yes, science. Yes, yes. So what did Ian ask of you as a sociologist? 
Well, at first we thought it would be more oriented to perhaps me doing research. Um, I'm getting various PhD people to, to have an influence over them. But Ian's interest, and I think the council more generally, wants to encourage the human side, the people side, to be developed. So it's influencing um, rather than being the frontline researcher. When you, when you say influencing, influencing within the council organisation itself and outside in the ratepayers? Some, some are both. Some are both. Some so, it's, so it's influencing the Environment and Innovation Subcommittee within the council. It's often talking to scientists who, who for instance, say, I, how many times do I have to say something before people get it? So they're yeah. focused on their science, good scientists doing excellent work, and but in the consulting, the human side's not quite how they feel confident to to get them to see that climate's happening, that environment's very fragile. Yeah, well, so, well, some some of our scientists are very clever people, aren't yes. they? Oh, and, wonderful, and really not very good at people speak. Yeah, that's right. And if, that's fair enough. Isn't that, it? That's fair enough. If you've developed ways of measuring water or life forms in in yep. a river or lake, that's your expertise. It is. Yeah. But inevitably, that expertise gets applied to people, whether they're farmers or councillors or uh, people who live up the street. Um, and so, how people react is terribly important to how you can convince them of the science or. So, so your work with people at the council is not just with the staff, but you, you said you were talking to the Environment Innovation Committee, is yeah. that what it's called? Environment yeah. Innovation. Those people are council laws. Yes, so they're not staff. No, they're, they're not they're staff. So how, how do you deal with that situation when they are not staff? Right, well, I've done a series of technical reports for them on various topics like communication and um, the, where women fit in um, to, the, to the mix. And so as I've gone on, I've realised more and more that I'm talking to them as a quite different cohort of people. Yes. They're, they're influencers in their own ways, um, and they get people real denialist um, kind of conversations. So how do they respond to them? So last um, uh, meeting I had with them a week or two ago, I, um, I made a suggestion about deer and mower because people have often said, oh, well, that's just the same. You know, they're both grazers. And new science uh, disregards the 1960s science and says, no, mower and deer affect erosion very differently and deer are much more dangerous, for instance. That's just one example of me talking directly to the councillors, not to the staff. Yes, yeah. Well, the council laws also are there because of a passion, Aren't they really? They want to make the world a better place. You don't stand as a councillor for the regional council if your passion is is not the environment in some way. That's what they're there for, aren't they? Yes. They are passionate, but are you trying to make that passion more scientifically orientated? Not for them. No? um, I need to interface with the science and tell them the story because... Some of them are interested in uh, administration and they don't always have as full an understanding of the environmental implications that are coming upon us right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, so. you see, you told me off the air that you have appointed or the council has appointed what I'm going to call science ambassadors or... or yes, a science so, translator. A, a translator. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I'm, t- I'm guessing that person's job is to take the science speak from the scientists and turn it into... 
people speak. So, so we, yeah. the the ratepayer, the councillors, all these other people that are not scientists can understand what the science is saying. Is doing yes. So my role is really part of that larger yeah. suite of change. Yeah, yeah. I see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. that's a good thing, isn't it? I think so. So I, how long I have we so. had a regional council, and how long has it taken for a U type person to be there? Well, I suppose. In the in the seventies, we had a catchment board or something, and then yes, we did a catchment yeah. board. Yeah, but I, but I have to admire the council for their willingness compared to some of the other councils that have focused on marine and and coastal and so on and river science. This council has, as with several appointments, trying to say, actually, the social, the human stuff is where we've got to get buy-in from folks. Yes, um, you know, we know about Te Wonga. Um, uh, getting eroded by the coast, and I can tell you, I've been publishing articles about we're going to have some very severe sea level rise over the next uh, decades, and then even longer out. But you need to be careful how you tell that story, absolutely, don't you? Absolutely. If you're telling that story to me, I don't live in Tiawonga, so no, I haven't no. got that emotional attachment no. to it. So you can talk to me in one way, whereas if the person sitting next to me actually lived at Hamoana or Tiawonga, how you speak to them about it has to be a bit different, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Isn't uh, that part of your job? That's right. You're always trying to cater, not pander, but cater to yes. the different needs. Tell the story need properly. Need. Yes. So somebody who lives a long way from Te Wonga also needs to know that all the edges of our whole um, Hawke's Bay region and, of course, around the world will be affected by a substantial amount of water coming That's out. right. Yeah. yeah, so that's quite a difficult story to it's tell. It's a very difficult story, isn't it? and to tell it again without being emotional, but to keep the facts there yes. on the table in an understandable, manageable way. way. Yeah, yes, yeah, I published yeah. something in Hawke's Bay today the other week about in the 20th century the sea level went up that level, and in the last 25 years it's gone up the same level again, about 10 centimeters. Yeah. Um, so just to make that more human understanding, I think, rather than the and the, exactly. and the consequence of, and the consequence I want to flip the story a little bit onto biodiversity, because right. I know you've been working also again in how we tell the story in this field. Now, I first heard this word biodiversity when I was working for Horizons Regional Council down in Manawatu. And it was a new word that was sort of being bandied about at the beginning of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone accepts that word for what it is, don't we? We've all got yeah. our own sort of definition of what we think biodiversity is all about. It's yeah. not such a weird word. You have been studying the farmers in Hawke's Bay, their attitudes to what they think and what the council thinks biodiversity is all about. Who are you talking to and what are you trying to achieve? We used the results of a beef and lamb survey and um, with a summer student applied it for um, one of the uh, regional council uh, groups. As you say, biodiversity is this word that gets bandied around. I think for the layman it's still an odd word, just quite what does it mean. Um, And so when we were analysing what the farmers had said, some of them took it to mean quite different things. Most of them reckoned they had a bit of a grip on what it meant. The people who are most unwilling were at least interested in shooting 
possums and rabbits and okay. stoats. That's part of being a farmer, isn't it, really? Yes. Getting rid of yeah. those pests. Because they are, the farmer can actually see that they are pests. Yes. They've got to go. And I think even at that minimal level, we can... We can embrace and endorse those farmers' activity, yeah. encourage them and any Well, they're vectors for badness, aren't a- they, really? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what did we find out? This this was for our beef and lamb farmers, this yes. particular survey. So what you might call the typical upcountry Hawkesbury farms, yeah. of which there's many, many. Um, generally, there's quite a high level. For, um, out of a rating of five, uh, the bulk of the farmers call themselves a four. That is... They're into planting in their difficult creeks, a certain amount of trees, although they're not tree farmers, not forest, <clears throat> and also um, quite active in how they go about their planting of their paddocks and how they treat their animals. So there's quite a there's quite a move um, amongst farmers themselves. You might have heard about the bats down in Central Hawke's Bay. Yeah, that's right. They got a bit of coverage. Yes, and I was talking to a group of uh, Murray experts the other day who are very keen on balls clearing. They'd love that to be predator-free. Yes, they would. Well, I heard they talk too. Yeah. Yeah, yes. absolutely right. With the farmers that you're talking to, you, you've got those from absolute denial or almost absolute denial to those that are thinking this is just another bit of whipty doodness and they can't wait to get out there and do it. Yes. How do, how do you strike a balance across that? Well, I would say... Drawing on science, we have to change very fast. And farmers, if you're being negative, would say you could say they've been very successful over three decades of holding out change, but denialism is very rapidly fading. Is, um, do, is that something to do with the age of the new ones coming on board? Or Yes, yeah, so I think husbands and wives today have often had other jobs and yep. they often have a bit more education. Um, I'm not saying... If you're not educated and you're not smart, I'm just saying with education you get exposed to the environmental changes that are happening. So you're, you're right, you are on board with that quite a bit more nowadays. Yeah. I just um, wondered with denial, it's very easy to deny, especially as you're getting older, yes. <laughs> that, yeah. that something that is a bit of a trendy thing of today, and you think, oh... I've been and if it this. seems like cost too, yeah, cost um, is, yeah. who amongst us would voluntarily well, yeah. spend well, a lot no more money? No one wants an extra cost added right. into the budget at the moment, least of all someone that's in primary industry, yes. um, where their costs are quite big and they're not getting a huge return in a True. lot of instances. So mm. adding an extra cost in there is yeah. not a sexy sell. And in, a, in our survey, cost was a key thing. Was it? I'm um, not surprised. Um, but also time and effort. So if okay. you've got to spend a month in winter putting up a fence or along a stream, that's a big effort quite apart from the cost. Yes, Even exactly. if you've got help from the council with cost. Yes. Yeah. So the council is still doing that? I know they used to help with yes. riparian fencing. Yes, they're, they're doing a very good job and they're really encouraging tree planting as well yep. to get ahead of the dryness that's going to increasingly come. Yep. Um, and there's also an activist voice out there for protecting animals, so why not get ahead of that rather than have um, be put in a dog box yet again um, as, as about the cow farming happened a, a while back. Yes. You would think most farmers would see that as, as logical. Yes. They're, hopefully, they're, they're, hopefully, maybe. There's one or two little groups still going, but most farmers accept that um, this is how it's going to go, and the new farm and environment plans... Um, 
from being voluntary at first, and particularly the tukituk area are now national, so you aren't going to be able to farm in the future unless you have a farm environment plan. Yes, so, that's right. And that's going to be the same no matter which catchment you live in. Whichever catchment you're living in. And that's it does right. mean if I'm in your catchment and you're putting on untold amounts of fertiliser, I as a farmer next door am going to get a bit stroppy. You, you are. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's kind of evened out a bit, died down a little bit, hasn't it? We're not doing what we used to do some decades back. We're better at it. Well, I, I, th- we? I think we've still got quite a big, a bit of improving to do, but I think it's... A bit of carrot, a bit of stick. The, yeah. the, the council's help with some money. A bit of sociology. Um, a, a bit of the people stuff, yeah. That's right. Oh, I like that. And I actually think it's very innovative of the council to do that. I want to, yeah. it leads on from this, leaning on from your talking with the beef and, and lamb farmers, is the fact that women in farming are often left out, or they used to be left out. Your job was to do the cooking somehow and look after the lambs that came early and needed a bottle. How is this changing? Women farmers often have off-farm experience in offices and factories, um, so they often have quite a practical understanding of either wages or um, uh, employment rules and regulations and um, how you relate in, in a workplace. So they've often got quite good skills. And in catchment groups, I've talked to some of the frontline catchment officers who say... You get a woman running a group, she's got many of the traditional skills of being organised, she doesn't have a bloke ego, so she's... so Just gets on with it. Yeah, so although you might think a farmer wouldn't pay attention to a young woman, in many ways it can turn out to be a very good um, position to, to occupy. Um, Is the council picking up on this and, and using the, the ability to communicate with women in a slightly different way to get something done? Well, I think there's more possibilities to do there. Yeah. Beef and Lamb and Fonterra um, and even in our catchment groups um, are involving women much more. Um, but when I presented a paper for the council committee about uh, are we making best use of women's skills and knowledge, um, one of the respondents in our in our group conversation said, I've been here 15 years, I've never heard this kind of conversation. So hopefully that's me making a bit of a bit of support in the communication side. Are we telling a woman's story as much as a male farmer's story? Um, so by speaking to the women and specifically targeting the women, you might actually get a different kind of change come out of it. Yes. Yes, I, th- I think there's quite good possibilities there. I try to be careful to not just burden the council with one more thing they needed to do. Yeah, I understand that was, one, Edgar, but it's just sort of sly dog stuff yes, in a way, isn't yes, it, really? Yes, yes, because we always said of traditional orchards and farms is that, and I say of my own experience running a, a rural plant nursery, my wife was as much as a decider as I was at the governance level. I might be the operations person, but she, and I think again and again... Women's smarts, as well as men's smarts, are what's needed to make a farm or any rural business go as best as it can. Yeah, to balance off the partnership and, yes. and, and keep it ticking along. It's, it might be hard for some of the workers to actually accept that the women have a, a, an equal role there that can be used in a slightly different way. It's, it's a 
different change of tack, isn't it, completely, yes. to target yes. the women specifically? Yes, yes. And, and it, of course, it's different again if the women actually own the property. <laughs> well, that's right. And that's happening more and more too, isn't it? Yes. You've got women farmers who are trained as farmers, educated as farmers, want their own land. Yes, and their business operation is often as a company or as a partnership, so legally... Uh, why not use the smarts of all your partners, that, both your partners? That's right. Do you think there will be a change of attitude at the... I'm not saying the attitude was wrong at the Regional Council, but will they change to to be more favourable to women? Do you I think, think there's a lot of women employed. I don't know the ratio, but there is a lot of very clever women employed in many roles, even frontline, traditionally blokey roles, um, right through to planning and... Um, some of the managing departments. So I, I give them a lot of points already being involved. But there is a sort of an ethos in relating out to the public community that you, you as a ratepayer and a voting woman, your opinion counts also in these other decisions. Yes, it does. You've got a lot of work ahead of you, haven't you? Ah, yes. <laughs> you have. Thank you, Dr Edgar Burns from the University of Waikato and the current Chair of Integrated Catchment Management at the Hawke's Bay Regional Council. Thank you for being my guest on Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air. If you or someone you know is considering studying sociology, there is much to be found online to help find the perfect degree for you. There are also online study options. There is also much to be found online about courses on offer at EIT and La Trobe University. Similarly, hit Google to find the monthly lecture program offered by the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society. You are most welcome to attend any of them. Please join me every Monday morning at 9.30 to meet another recently retired or practising scientist from around the Bay. I'm Lynn Trafford. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.